started Googling this family name again and up popped his mother's obituary. You know, it struck me as I sat there like, oh, that was a missed opportunity to meet my biological grandmother. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an Ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for Not Parent Expected or Non-Paternal Event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 76. Today, I am speaking with Lisa A. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lily. Thank you so much for doing this on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to enjoy it. It's nice to tell the story. And I know you haven't told your story very often, have you? No, not really. Bits and pieces. I haven't. I'm still halfway in the secret world. So many of us are, and that's okay. There's no one way to do this. Okay, so you know how this podcast goes. Um, Let's start at the beginning with your story. Uh, We are differentiating you as Lisa A., and this is episode 76. We did have a Lisa on uh, first season as well. Lisa, why don't you go ahead and tell me about your original family and what your childhood was like? Okay. I have a sister. So my original family, you know, it was my mom, dad, and younger sister by two years. I grew up in Texas. I was born in 1970. Um My parents divorced by the time I was four and my younger sister was two. So I don't really have a whole lot of memory of that original family unit. Um, I had a good upbringing. I would say overall, my mother raised us primarily. And thankfully, my father was a strong presence in our life always. He would always provide the stability and be the rock that we needed, even to this day. But my mother worked full time, and so my sister and I were latchkey kids, Um, you know, spent a lot of time on our own, especially during the summer. And she was a bit of a nomad, so we moved every year or when Elise was up, and I started a new school every year of my life. My sister and I both, you know, had to start over, make new friends, and I really attribute (laughs) those experiences to my strength and resolve today. Um, I think just having to do that over and over in your young life just makes you a strong person. So I guess that was the one good benefit that came out of starting over every year. But I grew up in the same area for the most part, just moved to different parts of town. Um, We did live with my father one year when I was 14 and my sister was probably 12. My mother had taken a job to work out of state. And so we did spend one year with our father and it was an experience for all of us. And he wasn't used to having young teenage daughters, but, you know, he was always there. We always did there every other weekend, saw him in summers and he has a large extended family. So, you know, we were all very close. Um, and, even when I went on to marry, we, I, you know, we grew up and 
he still was always there. And my mother is now, um, she has MS and is 74 and in a wheelchair, but they're both, um, you know, both alive. And so that sort of is what complicates things sometimes. I'm not sure what is always, mm-hmm. what would always make it better, you know, but so my dad, I'm just going to call him dad. Cause he's my dad. I mean, um, he is a great grandfather to our children. I mean, he's just such a strong force in our life. Um, after the divorce, we did the standard visitation. And like I said, he was always there for us financially. My mother was quite a spontaneous person. And so, although they both did go on to marry other people, um, unfortunately, none of those worked. And so they, they live alone and they're friendly today. And, you know, we're still a pretty good family union, although we're always separate. I mean, you know, to a degree, but we spend holidays together. Um, so moving on to how I found out, uh, April, 2018 was the month that a year that my life changed forever. Uh, my husband and I decided to take a 23 and me test and my dad, who was always just popping over to the house, um, came over one day and we were selling them. Oh, we just ordered these kits. And so he decided he wanted to do one. I don't always grown up hearing stories about both of my great grandmothers being one was full blooded native American. The other one was you no know, half. And so we just decided, Oh, probably like so many other people, we'll see how much native American we have in us or whatever else. I really didn't ever know what I was. I just figured I was a mutt. You know, I didn't know I'm much European. So it was pretty interesting. Just the ideal of us. So, we all took the tests and um, submitted them. And a couple weeks later, my dad called me to tell me he had received his results. I just happened to be on a trip with my son for a senior trip in Disney World. And he's not very tech savvy. So I told him whenever I returned, I would help him to understand his results. Um, so by the time I got home a couple of days later, my results were in. So I logged in and just kind of skimmed through it, trying to get my bearings and figure out what it was all about. And then I called my dad and said, hey, um, let's look at your results. You know, so I kind of got in his account. We were just on the phone. It was a really quick conversation. But, you know, we were looking at the England, Wales, just were what your percentages were. And although we didn't really compare that too much, I did notice the DNA relatives. This was on 23andMe, and it tells you how many you have. And I, did, I do remember saying, oh, do you have like 1,400 relatives? Like, how is that even possible? And he's like, well, I have about 1,100. And so, you know, didn't think anything about it. And after I hung up with him, because he he's really a, oh, we're going to have to sit down and look at this together because I just can't follow you on, you know, here. So I said, okay, well, I'll see you on this weekend. And we'll go through it. But after I hung up with them, I started kind of going through my results. And initially I saw the DNA relatives. I kind of clicked on it and went in and I saw a half brother. And I'd always heard, you know, when I took this test, this was back in, in the back of my mind. My mother had told me once when I was a teen that she'd given up a son couple of years before I was born. And so I knew this had to be him. She couldn't remember his exact birthday, just that it was the summer of 68. We never really discussed it again. I mean, other than that brief one time when I was 14. And then later in my twenties, 
I remember discussing it with her and asking her specifics as if I was going to try to find them. But, you know, things were so private then and the hospital had closed down and who knows where those records will be. Well, nothing ever came of it, but it was almost like he was always a dream because that was all I knew. That was all we had ever spoke of him. And I never had thought about him much after that. And then here he was all of a sudden. I just couldn't imagine who else it could be, you know? So, um, that really distracted me from the real revelation that was awaiting me, uh, you know, just trying to figure that out. So I began just searching more and, and then I logged into my dad's account to start kind of jumping back and forth just to compare and just to see what was what, so that really I could gather my thoughts to sit down and have, just to give him his lesson. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In 23, like, here's what it is, dad, here's what it says. And so um, when I began jumping back and forth, I couldn't figure out why he wasn't, well, first of all, none of the names of relatives matched up. And then I couldn't figure out why is he not showing up on mine as father? And why am I not showing up on his? Because my husband had also received his results and immediately like his daughter had auto populated. And so I, I kind of knew that was how it worked because we had already been in his. And so I was like, hmm. so I just kept looking and then I typed in his name as a search and then just without warning it just this message popped up you share no DNA with this person and I that was the exact moment my life changed forever I sat in disbelief just trying to absorb what I was reading I mean how could that be possible if my dad had ever had an inkling that I wasn't his biological daughter, he never showed me or anyone else in the family. I never felt different from the only family I'd ever known. It's really quite the opposite. Um, my dad had a huge family, lots of brothers and sisters, which meant I had tons of cousins. My appearance blended well with the rest of the extended family. I mean, I didn't stick out. You know, there's just never anything that could have prepared me for this. But I will say in hindsight, Only now can I look back and remember questioning my own fraternity in my young 13, 14-year-old mind because my sister looks just like my dad. And although her and I definitely pass as sisters, we don't look exactly alike, but there are similarities. But my dad had lots of freckles, and my sister got those freckles, and she would always say, why did I get all daddy's freckles? And you didn't get any. You know, there were just little things. And then, like, my nose, I could never figure out whose nose my look, my, you know, mine looked at. I, there was nobody in the family that I could see a resemblance with nose. So there's a couple of things. But, of course, those were fleeting thoughts that I just pushed right out of my mind because, I mean, you know, who could have imagined? So... There were those thoughts, but it's funny how you just kind of push that out of your mind. But I never thought about it again. So everybody always just, the narrative was, oh, you take up your mom's side of the family. Um, and even though I don't really feel like I resemble her a whole lot, you know. So uh, it took me a couple of weeks to confront my mother. And honestly, I can remember vividly that afternoon sitting in that chair for 45 minutes just unable to move and just before I could even gather my wits to call my husband to try to tell him what I had just figured out because I mean then you probably know it just hits you like a freight train it's like 
wait, something's not adding up here. And then it's like, you know, oh my gosh, he's not my father. I mean, the only daddy I've ever known. So, um, I did eventually one day after I decided I would calmly go to her apartment, um, as she has MS and has health issues. And so I sat, uh, sat down calmly on her couch and began to try to explain my DNA discovery. And, you know, she's 74 ish and that generation doesn't really understand what all this means. But I just asked her out of nowhere, mom, who's my real dad? And she looked at me confused and was like, well, your dad. And I said, no, not the one you let raise me, but the one that got you pregnant. And she turned white and thought she might fall out of her wheelchair. And we began to kind of go through the motions of her denials versus my new truth. I had to explain to her DNA and what this meant. And she was kind of starting to nod her head. And so I asked her for his name and she reluctantly gave me a name and she calls him Mike or Michael is his name. I ask her if she's, if he is still alive and she whispers, yes. And I say, where does he live? And she gives me a location without even a second thought. And I can remember sitting there so perplexed as to how would she know all this? How does she know he's still alive and where he lives? So next I ask her, does daddy know? She swears to me he has no idea. Um, and asks that I please don't tell him. So I'm like, well, I don't want to tell him. I don't want to be the one to tell him, you know? And so I asked her for some backstory. Her story was basically, well, let me just say this. When she told me his name, the funny thing is I remember hearing his name a couple of times in my youth. And I could swear that she told me he was the father of the first child she had given up for an adoption. And when I say this to her, she doesn't remember it or she doesn't, you know, she denies it. So I thought, well, maybe I'm confused, you know. So moving along, she said she had met him. He was her first love. Um, she had gone to school with him and he went off to Vietnam. Um, and so she does, she tells me, well, first of all, she tells me one time I took you and your sister to a pizza restaurant and he was there. And so I don't know why she would tell me that randomly, but I didn't have any memory of it. And, you know, I mean, I think she said if I was probably eight or nine. So I didn't think much of it. Um, I just made the assumption we either went to the restaurant, just ran into him or she went to meet him. And we were along for the ride. I definitely didn't read too much into this, but we'll circle back to this later. So it definitely plays a part. Um, she did tell me she had a picture or two of him which I was intrigued as to how she would, after all of our moves in so many years, I mean, at this point, I'm 48, whenever I make this discovery, how she would have pictures. And she said it was a military picture of him, an army from Vietnam. And so I just kind of put that in my back pocket. And at the end of the discussion, I just wanted her to know, like, I'm not mad at you for cheating on dad, even though, oddly enough, I had found out later on in life that they weren't even married whenever I was born. And I think I had found a, a marriage certificate or a divorce decree in one of our moves. And I just did the math. And I was like, oh, you and dad weren't married whenever I was born? And she said, no, 
That's pretty good. We just waited till that after, you know, so of course I didn't ever think much into it, but, um, I said, I'm not mad at you for cheating on. I just can't fathom how you could lie to me my whole life. You know, like how can you think it's okay to never have the urge to tell me, like, do you not think I look like him? And she says, well, I mean, now that you mention it, I think you do kind of look like him, you know, when it was just so odd. So, uh, eventually left there and just kind of went on with my life. I did tell her, I don't want to talk about this ever again. I don't want to know him. I don't want anybody to know. It's embarrassing. You know, you have that anger. And and at that point, I just really thought, well, I just want all this to go away. So I, um, the next few weeks, started to go through the motions, but after I talked to her these first couple of weeks, I knew my sister's results. I don't know if I mentioned that before, but my sister, after I told her, oh yeah, we all submitted our DNA test, she sent one. So she was a couple of weeks behind us. Mm-hmm. So throughout all this, she's in the back of my mind because I'm like, I've got to tell her something. I don't want her to find out the way I found out. I mean, you wouldn't wish that on anybody and I'm sure you could relate to that. As life goes, I was unable to catch her. And one day at work, she called me and was like, Lisa, this says that we're half-sisters. I got my results, you know, and I was like, oh. So I, I kind of had to have that conversation and bring her up to speed. And we met for lunch and, you know, just both cried. And we're just trying to figure out how this was even possible, just putting the pieces together. Like I said, the first few months, it's funny it takes a while to process that truth. And I swear, I just walked around in a fog, just sorting it out in my mind, but it was in my mind at the front of my mind all day, every day, no matter what I was doing or how hard I was trying to block it out. Um, and you know, as time goes on, you just start to question so many things. So I sort of turned a corner after a, a, a little while, few months and I decided I wanted to know more. I at least wanted to see a picture. So remembering that she had that picture somewhere, you know, she was supposedly going to look for it, but she, no luck yet. So I just decided to start looking. And so of course I start Googling his name. She had told me the city, which was just about 20 minutes away from me. So I just started looking and, you know, as luck would have it, he, although he was kind of a ghost online, I found an obituary for an older man. Um, you know, I didn't have anything really to go on what he looked like. And so I started looking through the obituary of the man who could potentially be my paternal grandfather. And I've learned that obituaries are a plethora of information. There's the extended family and, you know, just details that you would never dream that could help you in these kind of searches. So after his obituary, well, there was a tribute section on this obituary and it had pictures and notes and family names and and looking through all the pictures you know there was this Michael, this younger Michael and as soon as I looked at the pictures I just knew it had to be him because I could see the resemblance it was, I mean it made me just stop for a second I'm like I know this is him and when I would show my husband pictures because he was my rock through all this. I mean, he was the only one that knew anything that I could even talk to. And so I would show him pictures and he'd be like, I mean, I just, I don't see a resemblance. You know, he would always tell me that, but I just knew deep down 
in my DNA, I guess that I think this is him. I can see my nose. I can see, I can see the look on his face. It's the look I have. And, um, so I started with kind of that, you know, and I would go hard researching for a while and then I would live my life, you know, at the same time, my son was graduating high school and getting ready to go to college. So I was becoming an empty nester. There were just all these changes in my life. Um, and you know, we, hear throughout our lives that time is just a funny thing. Time is always passing. And, and there's only a couple of times in my life where you just, I've really felt that. And so, and writing out my story, it had so many turns and twists. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to look up some passages about time. And there's a couple of them that are great um, that I apply to me now at the point that I'm at. And just real quickly, um, time is the wisest counselor of all, um, author is Pericles. Time changes everything except something within us that is always surprised by change, Thomas Hardy. And I just thought, you know, it's funny because it's so true because I, it's been two plus years, I think, nearly three. And I have evolved so much since that beginning, um, just from where I am, where I was in the middle, and where I am now. I mean, it's still... I haven't crossed the finish line. It'll probably be, I don't know that I ever will. Um, but, you know, we'll see one day. So moving on, um, like I said, I put on a brave mask and just tried to block it out. And then I started searching, went through the obituary, and that really just consumed me. So after I was searching names of the family names that was in the obituary, I found a, a Facebook tribute for Veterans Day. And there was two pictures and it was a, a guy in an army photo and his father, who I presume to be his father, who was from that obituary and he was World War II. So I screenshotted the one of the army and I sent it to my mother and I said, is this the army photo that you said you have? And she responded and said, yes, that's it. And I had sent her kind of a couple of other pictures I had screenshotted from that obituary website and she would say I don't think that's him you know and I really didn't know if she was just didn't remember or didn't recognize him or was just trying to steer me in a different direction you know I mean I think she was surprised at my interest because honestly through this whole process I've not consulted her since the initial it's been my my path and I haven't involved anybody in my family because I didn't want anybody else to control the narrative. It was my turn to take over and just really figure it out for myself. So she confirmed it was a photo. And so I knew it was him. Um, so I, you know, kind of sat with this for a while and, you know, randomly here and there would do some searches. Well, after I'm going to say three or four months, I did a new search one day. I was at work and I just started Googling this family name again and up popped his mother's obituary in January of 2019. And I had pulled this up just a few weeks later, probably the end of February of 2019. So, you know, it struck me as I sat there like, oh, that was a missed opportunity to meet my biological grandmother. Hmm. Um, and it really didn't occur to me till much later that she would, lead me to him in a way. So in her obituary, there was new information based on her family 
she had 12 or 13 siblings and all of these family names in her obituary were the names on my DNA relatives. And, you know, it was just more concrete evidence. And so I was like, just exploring through all that. And it made sense because so many, she come from Tennessee and I had noticed this reoccurring theme of Tennessee. Um, so after I had this information, I decided I better take an ancestry test in addition to my 23andMe. So I did. My results came in. And lo and behold, I have a very close match. Uh, and it says first cousin, you know, or closer. I knew her to be a half-sister. First of all, I could kind of see a resemblance. Second of all, I already had a half-sister to compare the Cinemorgans with. Mm-hmm. So... I sat there for a few minutes and it was May of 2019. I decided I'm, I'm going to write her a note. So I just wrote her a note, you know, just real short and sweet. And based on her screen name, I couldn't, it took me a month to figure out what her name was and just to even start trying to find her. And I can remember using Google images to just try to find a photo that would lead me to her name. And then one day, after doing this over and over, uh, I can be a bit obsessive. So (laughs) I figured things out. I just have to keep doing it. One day at the bottom of the screen, it just said brainy, you know, and I was like, wow, I've never seen that. And honestly, to this day, I've never seen that on ancestry again, where their name, it was just at this little tiny bit on the bottom of the profile. So I had that to go on. Well, at this point I decided I wanted to write Michael a letter. I just had to. I had lost a couple of people close to me at this point around this time. And I just knew time was of the essence. I knew he had to be my mother's age. And, you know, who knows what kind of health he was in. And I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I had missed an opportunity. And I had, again, evolved a little bit. So I felt better about it. So I wrote a letter over and over for about two or three months. Um, <laughs> I had been on some of these Facebook groups and, of course, had read all the horror stories. And I just had no idea what to expect or what I was even going to do if he did respond. But after looking through property records and, you know, I found his address or what I think. I didn't know if he had a wife or who would receive the letter, but I was just like, well, what, what's the worst that could happen? So I wrote this letter over and over and it basically read like this, you know, <laughs> dear Michael, please sit down while reading this. I'm looking for so-and-so who knew my mother, so-and-so. I believe you're, I'm your daughter after taking a DNA test. You know, I just kind of gave him a quick catch up on what had happened. And so this was the day before Thanksgiving when I finally mailed this letter. I put a few pictures in it. I just sent it off in the mail and took a deep breath and went on through Thanksgiving. And so, like I said, I mailed it on Wednesday. Thursday was Thanksgiving. And by Friday night, my phone rang at early midnight. And I looked at the display and I recognized the area code of the city that he would be calling from. And it just, it hit me in the gut. You know, it's like this reoccurring gut shot. I'm like, this is him. I know it's him. Well, I was not about to answer the phone and have that conversation in the middle of the night. And, you know, just needed to have myself together. So I let it go to voicemail. 
and of course tried to lay there and sleep the rest of the night. And the next morning I wake up with some anxiety and I decided to listen to the voicemail. And in it, this man says, Lisa, it's your daddy. I'd love to talk with you. Call me back when you get a chance. Mm. And I mean, the blood drained from my body. Why would he say that? It's your daddy. I mean, it was really kind of unnerving. And I just wondered, has my letter been stolen in the mail? Was I being punked or, you know, the wrong recipient received this letter? And they're just, I mean, I just had so many things running through my head. So I let Brian, my husband, listen to it. And he was just like, oh, <laughs> you know. So uh, it's a Saturday morning. I have a lot to do. So I kind of get up and I'm trying to just figure out how to handle it. And I go through my day. And by noon that Saturday, he had called again, wondering if I had received his first message. And at this point, I was really just kind of scared. Like, okay, what have I done? I don't even know (laughs) who this person is. And so I finally get to a point where I can call him back. I parked in a parking lot and called him back. And I was like, I, hi, it's Lisa. I just received your messages. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, I've waited 48 years to hear from you. I wish it could have come sooner, but I'm so thrilled that it finally happened while I'm still alive. And I'm just sitting here in my car in shock thinking, what is he talking about? I mean, he knew about me. In my letter to him, I had mentioned the fact that my mother had told me we had met him at a pizza restaurant and you know that I didn't have any memory of it, but maybe he would. And his very next sentence was, I remember meeting you at that pizza restaurant. She called and asked if I wanted to meet my daughter and I did. And I was just, again, like, what is happening? You know, it's just so crazy to have these curveballs thrown at you. I'd already prepared myself for one narrative of this man didn't even know I existed to, you know, now he's been waiting on me all these years. I didn't know what to think. And everything was happening so fast at this point. Um, He told me he had known my mother in school. He always thought she was way out of his league. She was beautiful and this. And, um, but he went off to Vietnam. um, And he said that my mother had sent him a Dear John letter stating that she was pregnant with his child and, but she was set to marry another man. And, you know, in hindsight, even though I'm still angry about the way she handled it, um, she, at the time, probably didn't know if he'd come back, didn't know what would happen. And, you know, and I get that. And I always try to keep that in mind. Um, But the whole Dear John letter really threw me off. So suddenly he says, oh, your dad's name is so-and-so, you know, right? And I was like, yes. And I said, how did you know my dad's name? And he said, well, she told me that. She told me his name whenever she told me in the letter that she was getting married. And I was like, he has remembered my dad's name for 48 years. I mean, first and last name. And it was was just all beginning to be too much. Um, I asked him a few questions and I decided I better get home and leave the parking lot. So I said, well, you know, I'd love to catch up with you later. And I just needed to absorb what he had just laid on me. So I got off the phone with him, went home, tried to recount everything I could to my husband. I was all over the place. You know, he was just like, what is what, you know? 
And so honestly, by that night, I had decided I didn't want to waste another moment. And I told my husband, I want to go to his house tomorrow, you know, on Sunday. And although I could see the hesitation and the concern on his face, um, he said, okay, let's go. So I called Michael back and just said, hey, are, is it okay if we come visit? I mean, I'd love to really just have this conversation face to face. And so we, he said, yes, I'd love to have him come over. So we drove to his house the next day. And although it was initially awkward, it did start to flow. You know, you have those feelings of guilt or betrayal because I'm sitting next to this man on his couch and I'm thinking of my dad. And, you know, it's like, you feel like you're betraying him or I felt like I was betraying him. And, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, I, I have this right to meet this person and know this. So, you know, this whole search, all this I've been doing on my own, unbeknownst to any of my family. I barely told my sister who even knew anything. Um, my mother, I left out of the loop. Like I said, my dad had no idea, at least as far as I knew. So this whole journey, you know, I've been on my own. So the day we went to his house, um, you know, when I walked in, he was just this little broken man. He didn't appear to be in great health, but he was so open and warm. And I felt bad for him because it was like, not only did she lie to me, but, you know, she told me he had a child and then robbed him of any opportunity to know me, you know, so I felt bad for him and we just kind of sat and talked and he told me again, his story. And I should also mention that in that letter that I had written to him, I mentioned the daughter Brandy because of time when she came up on my results, I didn't know if it was a daughter he knew about. I couldn't see any connection in the profiles with family names. So I couldn't really put those two pieces together. Um, he did ask me about her when I went to his house and I said, well, I, I don't know. I had sent her a message and she never responded, you know, and that was at this point. And so we just kind of put that off to the side, but, um, we just kind of caught up and, and that was basically all I'd known is he had seen me at the pizza place when I was eight or nine and never really heard anything. And he said, I always hoped that you would find me one day. He did say he had no idea that I didn't know. He assumed my mother had told him. He thought my dad would know. Um, he was so shocked to know that I had only just found this out by a DNA test. And I think he's really had a hard time just wrapping his head around that. Um, he had been married. He had three grown children. Um, these siblings, my half-siblings, had already, of course, been Facebook stalking them as I gathered evidence because I really wasn't going to go into this halfway. I was going to have all the knowledge I could have mm -hmm. before we, and you know, and I wasn't going to reach out to them. I was going to get square with him. And then I, honestly, I didn't even have to do anything because he was so open. He immediately, I, I met him on a Sunday, the following Sunday, his oldest son called me. Um, and it's weird because when I would see him, online pictures. We look so much alike. Um, it's surreal, this older brother. And so we had a conversation. He had lots of questions, just not only about the DNA tests or Cinnamorgans. I was trying to tell him and, you know, and educate him at the same time because he just didn't know what was going on. So his, 
his dad, Michael, had given him the letter and let him read the letter. And he was so shocked that Michael never told anybody about me because he didn't want to share, you know, that I existed if I never saw him or never came. He didn't really know what to expect, but it had already been obviously nearly 50 years. And so his son was surprised that he had never even shared it with his own mother, who I know he cared for um, in the later years of her life. Um, so we talked on the phone for about 45 minutes and the holidays were approaching. This was after Thanksgiving. And so we talked about meeting, you know, and it, and it was like the wheels just started moving and everything happened so fast after that. But so by Christmas, um, or after just a couple days after Christmas, I went over, and Michael was there. All three of his adult children were there. So my husband, and I had to go straight from work. My husband met me over there and there was some more family there and I had to meet everybody at the, you know, a big crowd. And it was a little intimidating because they're all asking me questions and it's emotional for everybody. And I honestly was so impressed by the way they even handled it because here he was married to their mother. And let me just state that my oldest half brother is just 10 months older than I am. So, you know, he had two children with his first wife and, and then remarried again and had a younger son. So I had three half siblings at this point with him. So, um, the visit was nice. It was a little emotional, you know, every time I would say dad, Michael would look at me funny as if he didn't understand who I was talking about. I mean, you know, there's those words, those pronouns and, and even today I still use them. And, um, so I, we stayed, visited about an hour and went home. Um, during the same week, I was at home one night and I got a message from Ancestry. You have a new relative and she had just sent me a note. So I logged on and it's, you know, another close match who could be a first cousin or closer. And I immediately I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is another half sister, half sibling who has just joined and gotten her results. And she sent me a note and it's like, Oh, it looks like we're really closely related. I guess a cousin or, you know, and so I just immediately responded to her. I was like, I'm pretty sure we're half sisters and, you know, here's the backstory. And so she noticed the other, Brandy, who, you know, had not responded in several months since I had been in several months since I'd sent her a message. And I think she sent her a message. And so I just kind of told her what I knew that I had just literally found him and met him and his kids. And so she grew up knowing that man raising her wasn't her father, but her mother had told her it was somebody else, a different name. So she mm -hmm. signed up in the hopes of finding out her biological father was because she said she was always skeptical. She just felt like something was wrong. And then lo and behold, within 24 hours of her reaching out, the first one, Brandy, I guess a family member or somebody had told her, Hey, you need to log on to your ancestry. And so she got on and read our messages. And <laughs> now there's three of us. Uh, oh my gosh. 
And so they both knew that they had different fathers, but one of them, you know, didn't have any information. And like I said, the other one was going in a different, had a different name. So I just kind of told him what I knew and I felt a little conflicted because I didn't want to obviously give too much information without talking to him first, but also, you know, how could I deny him any of that information when I just found myself in the same. Mm -hmm. So I had the conversation, you know, I had to call Michael. I'll never forget it. I was driving home from work and I was like, Hey, um, I know we just met and all, but I have some news for you. I know I mentioned you could, there was possibly one daughter. She did respond. And also there's a new one. And, um, he was just in such shock. So he was quite the ladies man. I will just say, um, Mm. so there's three of us. I'm the only one he knew about. He never had a clue about the others and didn't really remember their mothers. Um, are they about your age? Yes. So 10 months after I was born, Brandy was born. She's 10 months younger than I am. Oh, like your half brother. Mm hmm. Okay. And then, um, there's the other daughter that he raised and then, you know, this other newest one. And she, she's a quite a few years younger than I am. So it, then it's like the first four of us are pretty close in age. And then there's a couple of years and then there's the younger two. Um, so, you know, here I had just met all the kids and the extended family. And now there were two more sisters that were going to wow. be on the scene. And so Michael was receptive to my giving them, yeah, give them my information. So I did. They all talked and communicated and he did to his credit. I mean, he told his adult children who must've been, I can't even imagine how they were feeling at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, and just, they were again, a little rattled, understandably, but they were just as open and receptive to the, to the other two. They did ask me some questions about them because, you know, I was, I sort of became the facilitator between <laughs> the yeah. original group and the new group. But, um, we, of course, then the pandemic happened, me and the two new girls talked and sent pictures. And one day we decided let's compare our childhood pictures, you know? And so I will say my mother was quite the scrapbooker and I don't remember really just looking so thoroughly, but I was trying to find pictures of me as a baby and younger to start texting to them. And so I turned to page three and I don't remember ever noticing this before, but there was like a sign in sheet of visitors at the hospital on the day I was born. And I just start skimming through it and I see all the relatives I grew up with name. And then here was Michael's name halfway through the list. He had been there to the hospital. <laughs> Your birth father visited you in the hospital yes. when you were born. Yes. Or my mother, you know. Which Your mother, yeah. Kind of crazy because I think of all my relatives and was my dad there? I just was so gobsmacked at seeing his name there. Um, so... I mentioned it to Michael, but I just said, Hey, you know, I found your name in my sign in. I think he was a little caught off guard. He didn't seem to remember visiting her in the hospital. Um, I showed him the book. Now the list was not everybody's handwriting. My mother had written, written it all in. 
So it was her handwriting, which confused him because he was like, well, I didn't write that. I said, no, I, my mother wrote all the names, you know, but I don't, I can't imagine that she would just add your name if you weren't there. I don't know anymore, you know? So, um, like I said, we all kind of talked and the pandemic hit. And so all, everything just kind of came to a screeching halt, right? As I felt like we were all open, you know, start talking. I will say all the half siblings, all of us siblings have a group text that we just kind of chime in here and there and talk. Um, over this past summer, I did have a get together at my house, like a pool party and everybody was there. So the two other sisters live, they don't live local. I live local with E and his adult children. They both came into town. And so we had everybody there to meet face to face. Now I had already met all of them a couple of times. Uh, just before the pandemic, I had managed to get in a dinner one night in addition to going to their home for Christmas. So I had a little bit, you know, and I have to say to their credit, I mean, they have been wonderful, just as wonderful as he had been. And, and I think they're very considerate in my story. They're intrigued by it because mine is just so, so crazy. And they met the new ones and it was actually kind of cool. But throughout all this, I have never been able to talk to my dad about it. My mom still swears he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he knows if he's played around on his 23andMe. Um, let me just say this. One of my sister and I, my original sister I grew up with, had our lunch and cried about it. We had to come up with an explanation as to why he wasn't going to see me, but he could see her because she obviously immediately connected to him. Mm-hmm. And basically, I just remember saying, oh, well, we'll you know, this baby my mom had given up for adoption, which apparently my dad had knowledge of, appeared and, you know, we just kind of gave him some story as to why I wasn't on there. So I think as far as he knows, I'm not on the website anymore and we have never discussed it. And sometimes I feel like he does see the elephant in the room with us, with me. Mm -hmm. You know, you get suspicious. Does he know? Does he know? Because he still just doesn't show me anything. And Sometimes I wonder, I mean, how could he not know? But I don't think he does. And I'm okay with him not knowing. I don't, he's 76. I don't really see the purpose in it. But it puts me in a precarious situation because it's, you know, I have one foot in this world, one foot in the other. And um, so going back to the pool party, my son came. I did tell my adult children who were 25 and 20 during the pandemic. One night I was alone with them and I just decided I've got to tell them I would never want them. They're going to find out one day they need to know this whole family history is not our history. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just so easy for them. And so they were both shocked. Uh, My oldest one, my daughter took it a little harder. My youngest one, the son was a little intrigued and interested in the ideal. (laughs) Although they were both shocked and, you know, the unfortunate part is that they have to live this lie with me because they know that Papa doesn't know. And, you know, we have to mm-hmm. keep this from them and we have to go about our lives. And, you know, I made clear to him, if y'all want to meet him, I uh, would love for you to meet him because you'll, you might never have the opportunity. And at least you'll know this heritage, you know? Um, so my son did meet him at the pool party. Um, 
and we don't really speak of it a whole lot. My daughter struggles with it. I don't bring it up much with them. And, you know, I've just kind of kept it into my own world. Well, um, my mother, I did all that research, went through all this, and I never told her any of it. I just kind of left it at that one meeting. One day I was taking her to the doctor, and she said, you know, Lisa, I don't even remember how it came up. You know, Lisa, I had no idea that he was not your father. And I said, Mom, uh, let me just tell you and show you. Here's a picture of him. I've talked to him. I've met them. I've told her everything he had told me. She was so stunned. It was like she had seen a ghost. I'm like, don't lie to me anymore. Um, you know, I'm, I'm angry at you, but I'm not angry. Like, I understand you did what you could. And honestly, in hindsight, she gave me the best daddy. And I know that because if he had been my father, you know, I wouldn't have probably had the life that my dad gave us, you know, the solid foundation because he was broken from war and drugs. And when I went to see him the first time, he was this, you know, broken man who was probably even according to his children, a shell of the man that, you know, he was and just the hard time he had, um, you know, you could see it on him and he lives by himself now and we talk and, you know, still try to get to know each other. I've stayed away from him because of the pain, you know, COVID and, but we talk on the phone and, and it's just kind of where we are today is it's like my kids do know, but nobody else knows. I I'm so close with some of my cousins, you know, that I've grown up with. It's so hard to sometimes keep my tongue and not slip anything. It's like my whole life. I grew up with this one sister and now all of a sudden I have like seven half siblings, you know, instead of just wow. this one sister yeah, And I even have to use my fingers sometimes to even add it up. But, um, you know, we sort of laugh about it sometimes to this day, but they're always aware that in the back of my mind, uh, you know, this is still a struggle for me. I have to, I, there can be no, like, for instance, my daughter's getting married in a few months and a couple of the siblings have mentioned wanting to come to the wedding. Well, I can't merge those two worlds, you know, mm. it's just too difficult and I think they understand but on the other hand they maybe don't understand you know just to how difficult it is to come to terms with it you grew up thinking your whole life you know you're this one person and you're not even though people say you're still the same person you know he's still your dad well of course he is he's always going to be my dad but it, it does change you and it changes that narrative and you know, you can just see so many things looking back, but, you know, I've come to terms with it to a degree and, you know, it is what it is. And so until I feel like it's time to, you know, intertwine those two worlds or, you know, my son graduates from college in a year, it's like, well, I can't invite him. You know, it's just those little things that you think about and hopefully the relationships continue to grow and, you know, and that has been part of it because I didn't, Honestly, after I met him the first time, I didn't know if I'd ever want to meet him again or see him again. But I just feel compelled to, you know, keep that going as long as I have the opportunity to. And, you know, I think it's important for me to try to get to know someone. And he does show me a lot of pictures and tell me family history. He tells me more than I want to know. And oddly enough, a funny story real quick. Uh, 
whenever I first went over and met him, he told me he's very forthright and has no qualms with telling me anything or anybody. Um, he mentioned that he had met my mother in a park and one night and the police came and shown, you know, shine their lights on him. And I was of course horrified by the story. <laughs> and, um, I thought, well, my goodness, well, I never brought it up to her, you know, because again, I didn't bring my mother into it. But when I was talking to one of the new half sisters, the one of us, the trio, she says, oh, my mom told me that story. And it was her mother. He was just confused. Oh, my God. The stories. And the wrong woman. Yeah. It, but it was so funny because I'm saying, yeah, he told me the story about him and my mom getting caught in a park. And I said, and I don't. You know, I can't imagine it was my mom. And she goes, oh, my God, my mom told me that story. It was my mom. And it was just so <laughs> funny that way it happens. And he's very matter of fact. And I think he's somewhat proud to degree, although he is very aware what he did to his wives and his children. You know, I believe her still coming to terms with the fact that he conceived their children, many, um, you know. While he was married. Right. Mm-hmm. Is he still married? No, he's been single mm-hmm. for many years uh, mm-hmm. on his own. And, you know, he's not in the greatest health. And he lived in a house, the house that he grew up in with his mother. And like I said, she passed in 19. So he lives there alone now. And um, his son and daughter, you know, visit him. And he's still pretty close to me. So, you know, I, I visit him a couple of times, but we're just really all still getting to know each other. But it's crazy how things evolve and change and I never expected any of this I never expected to gain new brothers and sisters but I think we're all handling it really well and you know very respectful of each other's feelings and I haven't told any of them about doing this podcast I I probably will at some point you know um, and and they'll know because honestly there's never been an opportunity for me to sit down and tell them everything even though they ask questions because it's always been at a group and, you know, time runs out and it's just been crazy. So they do definitely want to still sit down and tell them what happened because they just are so shocked that their father was able to keep it a secret for so long, (laughs) but you know, and this is your story to do with whatever you choose and Thank you so much for sharing all of this today, sharing your experience. If people would like to get in touch with you, could they do that? Yes. They can email me at T-E-X-A-S-A-R-E-N-T at gmail.com. I have to ask a question a little off topic. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you ever find out anything about that child that was given up for adoption, your brother, your half brother? You know, and whether I, I, is it a full sibling or a half sibling? He's a half sibling, uh, so he clearly wasn't this person's son. But okay. it's funny that you mentioned that because I, when I first saw him, and he was the first thing I realized, I messaged him, and my sister messaged him. And we've ne- he's never answered. And he's on Ancestry 23 and even a couple of those other ones. I see oh. him on there and I know he has to be aware of us. And I have to imagine that for somebody that's adopted, they probably usually join those websites to find, yeah. you know, if they know. 
And so it's sort of surprising that he hasn't mm-hmm. responded to any, you know, my sister or I. I did tell my mother that I had seen him on there and that I'd messaged him. And she was in shock over that, too, because, you know, again, they just still don't understand it. But so to this day, I, I wait and hopefully, you know, I will hear from him one day. Unfortunately, his name, you know, there's no name on there for an adoptee. He does, there's no way I can yeah. figure out who he is or where he's at. But. And I'm sure you've gone on his profile and like, it'll show you last logged in and you can go to your messages. It'll say whether it's read or seen or delivered. Right. And I did see that the messages were read. They were. Okay. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. All right. Yes. Yep. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your experience. It was, um, you know, where you're at with, with your half siblings, your new ones, your original, (laughs) um, and what you are doing with your your birth father, your birth certificate father, your mother. I there is no right or wrong way to do this and I really respect your your decisions and and, and all parts of your experience. And thank you so much for sharing them with me today. No, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity. It's always you know therapeutic to sort of get it out and get it off your chest because I never have sat and told the whole story. Um, but just listening to the podcast, your podcast has been, it's been so nice to hear, you know, similar stories and just know that they're, I mean, it's shocking how many people are living the same, you know, life and discovery. And, you know, we're going to, someday somebody's going to write the handbook. I know I've been waiting <laughs> for it to come mm-hmm. out, but I've figured it out on my own as we all have to do. And, you know, every story's a little different, but. I appreciate you giving me the time to tell it. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE, would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.